Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we could start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like, so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test. And then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me. Cause I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like is it gonna come into my life do I what am I gonna do about this to being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was gonna flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was gonna come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy so i'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes would love to connect with you on instagram my instagram's the shit show my 20s dm me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it and you can also leave a review on itunes i would love that today's guest is fab i love chatting with her Fab is an award-winning entrepreneur, supporting people, making a positive impact through their marketing. She is known as the founder of Creative Impact, a collective of hundreds of creatives making a positive impact on others and the planet through her community and her online mentoring. She has touched over 100,000 people from all over the world. She's a speaker, a writer, and a published author. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from the inspiration behind her book, Reclaiming Your Time, what her journey was like to start reclaiming her time and her mission with this book. We go into branding, common mistakes we make when we first start to build a brand. We go into brand voice. If she were to do Instagram all over again today what she would be doing and so much more so excited for you guys to hear this episode let's get started
So thank you so much, Fab, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. That's excellent. Now, my 20s were not so far away from today because I am just 30 at the time of recording. So you know what I mean? It's been pretty much, I left my 20s like, well, nine less than nine months ago I guess so I farewell them I said goodbye guys it's been lovely and you know what I'm thinking about it and now it's gonna sound real bad but a lot of my 20s had a lot of shit show moments and I'm so happy about that and I know that that's part of also the the reason I'm thinking about it's like okay some of it was like the outcome was really interesting if anything it made a great anecdote but without doing that then Without doing those mistakes or trying those things then, then probably now I wouldn't be, I guess, a bit wiser and I wouldn't be able to make better choices. So I'd rather get away with it then and just kind of try it and just be make an absolute tool of myself than probably, you know, not trying at all. So that's probably why there's quite a lot of things from that's not a shit show, but obviously the, the story starts with me probably moving to the UK. And obviously I was officially... 20, 20 or 21. I moved in kind of temporarily just for studying and then I came back and then I moved permanently about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So you're probably just short of 20. So, you know, you're a 20 year old, you're far from home enough that, you know, your mum is at thousands of miles away. And I love my mum, but that's the distance that I need from her to be able to actually have a good relationship with her because, you know, I, I need to have my space. But it also means that you have less security. So I was current at the time I was still employed. So I wasn't working for myself, but I enjoyed music. So I was doing freelance music journalism in the side. So you can imagine somebody who was, I was working in a, in a restaurant at the time. And then I was at night, I was just either going to gigs or I was writing or I was trying to explore. It was the first time that I was fully independent. And it was like a hard choice that I made because there was nothing else. Either I would go back with a plane, or I would stay there and make it work. And that means that I had to, I remember the first time that I went into a kitchen to kind of get a job and I was like I saw the way they were cooking I don't know if you know English breakfast is a big thing you know because like it's kind of weird like breakfast concoction that these guys make and the way that this kitchen made it I was so disgusted that I made everything possible so that it wouldn't ask me like to get in there and actually have a job because I was terrified I was like there's no way I'm gonna cook this shit I don't I, I can't swear because it's called shit show okay cool yeah um <laughs> I do swear like it's, it's a nice little touch that has sometimes and so you know I I tried so many things uh, because I had a dream and I wanted to follow that dream so I was like I don't care what I do during the day and that was kind of funny because I would I would get into the weirdest like jobs I was selling glass sculptures at a market at the beginning as well just to figure out you know you're fresh of university but still it was literally after a session so nobody wanted you <laughs> in any way shape or form if you were too young and then after that I after a couple of years I got I guess my break in the music industry and then I had to decide whether I was going to keep working unpaid at a PR agency or get into social media and kind of community management when it wasn't cool and I just said yeah I'm gonna try that because it was paid it was a lovely company and so I had to move again away from uh, my boyfriend at the time and everything else to London which was terrifying and very exciting and I think the first six months of London were an absolute blur like it was everything was blurred because it was so exciting you would try everything you want to go everywhere and I also realized that I had to make a lot of adult decisions where I still didn't feel like an adult 
I knew how to do the laundry. And I know it sounds weird, but that is accomplished in itself. I think I was like, yeah, okay, I know how to do laundry. I know how to do my basics. Some of my friends at the same age wouldn't because they would still get their family to do it. You know what I mean? But you realize, you know, and you will understand that as well. You get into a job that felt like it was a proper job. I wasn't just serving tables. Uh, I wasn't just kind of like, like trying to kind of live by. And I realized that because of where we were, like the opportunity to start your own business wasn't as obvious. So I had to go through that process. And I'm actually quite grateful that I didn't just come out of uni and started a business, which is great that people can do it right now. But I couldn't. And actually, I learned so much from all the different jobs that I did. The time, the fact that I had a you know a job that was there during the day and in the evening, again, I would go to gigs, I would explore London. And there was a lot of that. But it also meant that I constantly would overdo it, like constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wanted also, again, still to pursue my dream of music at the time. And then uh, I was made redundant from the job that I loved after like almost like short of a year. And I went into a job that I hated. And thank God for that, because I wouldn't be here today. I remember still to this day, I was trying to write this kind of resignation letter of sorts. I remember I was sitting in this terrible carpet because British people love carpet and I didn't understand it in this office on my own because I always arrived early in the office and it was a small company mm-hmm. and I was just figuring out how to write it like I just no, I'm gone and I felt really bad because I'm quite a loyal person so bizarrely I just wanted to do it but I didn't want to and I remember that I was at a point where I was so depressed and so sad and about everything and I just knew that I was gonna go in a place I didn't know I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have anything else lined up, but I didn't care at the time. I was like, I have just about enough savings that I can figure out what I want to do next. I mean, I literally started my business like the day after I got, you know, that, that I left, but I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't what you would see right now. You go on Instagram and you mm-hmm. see people, you know, you're a coach, you are a mentor. I became a business coach just because I thought I naturally progressed. People needed my help because I had the marketing experience and then what I gave them. And then I thought, well, okay, I'm spending like 10 hours doing this. So after doing a couple of free kind of help on the side as I was still working, then I had the confidence to say, no, I'm going to get paid for the time that I'm spending on this. And that's literally how that happened. So that kind of takes us literally when I was about 24, 25. And then there's a whole load of stuff after that. But I think after that is almost like a separate chapter. There were obviously other things that happened that are interesting. But I think that time that I don't talk about as much, it was really fun because I managed to try loads of things and do loads of uh, loads of random things and and stay out until one in the morning in a random shortage like warehouse after a gig, just partying and meeting random people that I never see again. And that was kind of all right because I managed to do that before I decided to run a business, which now I run too. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of your time and a lot of your energy and I'm okay with that and I'm committed to that but I realized that being able to have a bit of fun wasn't such a bad thing after all mm-hmm. that's it this takes us to 25 roughly but I think there was a lot in there there was definitely things that I learned across the time okay and let's go back to this, to when you said you were grateful for the job that you hated so what did you learn from that job and why do you think that experience was beneficial for you I learned a lot of things. That's a good question. One of the things that I learned is that I actually, sounds really weird. I actually was a lot more knowledgeable and and capable than what I first thought. 
because I don't have a marketing degree. Okay, so I have a languages degree, which is cute. And I got cool tattoos in Russian, but not to speak English, but you know, I'm Italian, obviously, by origin, in case people don't know. But when I think about it, obviously, I always felt "Mm, I'm learning this, but I'm learning as I go. And I think in that job, because it was so small and the boss didn't care as much about, you know, it would ask me to do things that were way above what I felt I could do. And I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot because there's nobody else here. I'm the only person doing this side of things, the marketing. So it was almost a, a weird promotion without being a promotion because I was given a lot more responsibility. And without that, probably wouldn't realize I managed like a silly thing, but I managed to secure us a, a feature in TechCrunch. It was kind of like a design agency and TechCrunch is massive. And it was such a random landing that happened just because I put the work into that. And I was like, ah, okay, so, you know, I can do these things. And that was probably the first lesson. And then the second lesson, which led me into what I do now and the passion that I have for health and wellness, I guess, it was that I need that without my health, it doesn't matter which job I do. It doesn't matter that security. At some point, you need to realize what your priorities are. And I always thought, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, even if I work myself to the ground and, and I stay up until late just because I'm finishing off extra stuff after work. It's fine, you know, just eat something on the go, just keep alive and hydrated and you'll be fine. And then I turned everything around. When I left that job, I literally completely changed everything. I went to be cray cray. I started going like, I went on the kind of raw vegan side of things, which didn't last too long, but um, I had a good six months of that. Which, for context, in the UK, it's hard because when it's cold, you don't want to have a salad and some raw nuts. But, you know, I, I tried that at the time and it just helped me realizing how important your your health is and your well-being is and that I could not be working or doing anything that would compromise that because that was one of my priorities because that will help me living a better life. So that was a roundabout lesson from it, but it was a very important one. Mm. And let's go back to where you said you need about a thousand miles distance from your mom. <laughs> Love you, mom. Uh, what was the, what made you realize that? And what made you realize that you needed that in order for your growth? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of hard in a way because I'm thinking about it. And I don't know. I always felt I needed, I was a very independent person. And I don't know. I think everybody's relationship with their family is different, right? <laughs> but obviously I don't know your personal relationship with your family, but I'm happy to have my space with, with pretty much everyone. Like it's really, really hard for me to, to kind of have somebody around you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Then pandemic happens and you learn how to do that. And I'm really grateful to say that it's never been a problem with my fiance. So that's, that's a good thing. But I just realized that, for example, I needed that space for myself when it comes to, to my family. And at first I thought it was wrong because you see what... Mm-hmm. I, you know, the perfect family should be like. And I was like, hmm, I've always been having quite an adult relationship with my mom, especially. So, you know, I always knew that I could talk to her about stuff and she wouldn't project things onto me as much. You know, it, it would it would be a sound conversation and she always supported me in what I was doing. But also I realized that both me and my brother actually are quite independent. You know, we didn't, we didn't need help at all times. We didn't need to be handheld at all times. And I felt it was a bit weird at first. And I was like, hmm. And so I, I almost was trying to go against that nature of being able to have my space and not having to talk to my mom every two hours. And so for me, it was hard because I was really like, am I being too strict? Why am I setting these boundaries? And then I realized that everybody's different. Mm-hmm. And actually by having forced boundaries, because you are literally in another country, I was able to explain to her that I needed that because I, I 
could literally do it because sometimes I wouldn't be responding to a text because I wasn't work or xyz and it was different you know because like it could be for the whole day and she had to rest assuring the fact that I could be out I could be home but I was in a completely different country completely different city and she had to trust that I was going to be okay and that really helped her also being more respectful of my boundaries as well so I think that's kind of how that really helped me because I understood that you know in order to you know you just have a relationship with anyone you need to understand how what healthy boundary means to them doesn't matter if your partner if it's your child if it's your parent you know what they what they think is healthy might not be what it is for you and so communication is key mm-hmm. and that really helped us then having a much better relationship anyway mm. and was that conversation hard for you to have with her honestly no <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite <laughs> Uh, again another trait that me and my brother have and my brother has another father just to explain so it's not like you say you know we're like literally same same so it's kind of funny because with these two things we're exactly the same but we're very different from my mom so don't know how okay but we're both very blunt in that respect you know we're quite we can we can have this this conversation in quite a relatively easy way and it's really weird so no it wasn't but it is because of my personality I would say because I appreciate that for some other people it could be and because I've always been finding natural for me to have my own space and if I want to switch off my phone because I just want some peace and quiet I will then again it was just like this is this is what I am and I was like well you you know we have to meet each other halfway and I, what I see now is that younger generations are able and are encouraged actually to have a bit more of these conversations a bit more slightly mm-hmm. adult conversations with their parents maybe before you know they reach 18 or 20 and just be like you know treat me like a person right whereas I think my generation still is a slightly older generation and it was a bit harder because you didn't feel like you you were you know old enough to be able to kind of sit as, standing your own ground almost which is really interesting how that changed so now you know you can say well I'm 20 now you know I'm an adult I can have a bit more boundaries and kind of like things like that but I feel like there's there's something really positive in being able to have really open conversations especially when it comes to parents again not being a parent so I'm told I'm talking about from my from a daughter perspective I guess but that's kind of what I see and what was it about social media that you decided to continue in it and build a business around it like what was it about social media that made you realize like this is something I really love this is something I see myself doing for years and years to come I'm a bit of a squirrel on speed so you can't see it right now because I'm actually having my hands in my pockets I'm trying to be good but what happens is that in my little brain you can't see it there but if Sophia looks really hard she will see a little squirrel just kind of doing like the samba just like Friday anyway so that's probably the vibe is having so one of my problems or hmm like lovely traits that can be good and bad at the same time curse and a blessing is that I have this you know very fast brain ideas all the Mm. time things to try and as I said one part of what I do is also still very related to wellness so the people that we help at Creative Impact are the wellness professionals or creatives experts so there's an element of making a positive impact right Mm -hmm. and that's fine but then my passion and the thing that, again, I love to learn more of, if that makes sense, and I'm even more passionate about is the social side of it. And I realized that it goes back to the squirrel on speed. And that's because I love to be able to kind of keep up with what's new and try the new things and experiment because things change at all times. Overall, I love marketing in general. So marketing, I love email marketing as well, which sounds as boring as it gets, but it's not, I promise. So I love, I like all of these things. 
you know, all of these things actually I, I quite enjoy kind of like understanding them. But I think it comes from the fact that it's such a fast paced industry and such a fast paced environment that you have some things that you learn that are frameworks that you can follow, but you can always experiment a bit more, try something new and almost kind of be a bit more up on your toes. And that really, really enjoy. Mm. And what's something that you pe- think people don't know about social media? That is actually more rooted in psychology than what we might think it is. Obviously, people started watching The Social Dilemma and had a panic attack and some people were throwing phones out of the window. They were like, no, I don't know if you watch it. Did you watch it? No. If you watch it, you'll see that obviously it kind of, it was interesting. Don't quote me as in, I didn't say this, but I think there's something along the lines of that said in the movie, which is, some of the developers of, let's say, the Facebooks and the Instagrams said that they, they wouldn't give a phone with social media to their children, knowing the reason why some of the stuff is created that way. Now, that's a bit sensationalism. That's a bit like conspiracy theory hat on as well. But there is some interesting truth into that, you know, releasing of dopamine by scrolling, you know, understanding, obviously, the comparison element, right? And uh, like the, the whole kind of personal values and also embodiment of yourself and how you perceive yourself against others and why social media and online world has also been having a bit of a, you know, I guess a double-edged sword, especially for younger audiences, right? Mm-hmm. With mental health issues and obviously self-esteem. So there is a very, very strong interconnection. And it's not just because of what we see and the content that we see, but it's literally how social media has been developed and the features have developed and the content is developed on the platforms. Is that to make us want to be there more? And is that to make us want to engage more? So really, Carola does something to our brain. And I think it's really interesting to see that. And this is, again, also why I like to think about social media with a purpose and something that is called conscious marketing. Because if you have that power, if your brand had the power to actually, you know, really influence people's decisions and us and so on, then why don't you use it for good? A bit a la, a la Peter Parker or Clark Kent, right? You can actually use that for good and try and empower people, make them feel better, make, you know, encourage them to make positive changes in other ways it is our choice that we have as people that put content online and i think we can actually use that black canvas the social can be with a better spin and a positive spin as well Mm. and do you think we can have a business without social media some businesses do actually and um there can be a place for that. For example, I'll give you that though. Some business might do that, but maybe their CEO is heavily on LinkedIn as the personal brand. So it's kind of talking about it. But, you know, writers, for example, I also write a lot. So I know a lot of writers, they use barely social media. Again, maybe they use things like LinkedIn more from a professional level, but they didn't use everything else. I think you can like with anything else. It's more about really what your goals are and how basically what kind of growth you're looking to to actually foster i believe that in general the online world has been something that we tapped into so much especially during a pandemic that really made us realize that if we are present in the online world we're able to better communicate with our customers so social media becomes an easier and faster way to do that so i would say it's good if you can find one social network that really resonates with you because it also opens up new ways to talk to your audience and listen to what they have to say because social media is the only place that really allows you to do that in the most effective way so to me it still has a lot of positives but again historically there have been businesses even in the past five years that have done really well with very little social presence and was there a moment for you when you realized okay this social media thing it's really powerful like this thing's not going to go away it's not something that's just going to be here for a year or two like this is going to be like the next several years 
It's kind of hard to say because I didn't join Facebook when when everybody joined there. I don't know. Like I, I don't know if you remember when you joined Facebook, but, but I do. I remember that I was way after anybody else and their moms, literally, even their moms. So, you, you know, it was a lot longer than that. And actually, I was relatively, I guess, a later doctor or more social, which is kind of funny when you think about what I just said, right? But then I got really addicted. For example, Instagram became my favorite because I love photography. So that was something that I enjoyed doing at the time. So I think it was more the content creation or something that I always loved. So for me, I think it was probably at the time that I did my, as I said, my first paid job with this company I was community manager. And just by being able to do a lot of studying, because obviously they allowed me to actually research and kind of do some elements of personal development when it came to social, I realized just the power of connecting to users. For context, it was an event company as well. So obviously we could bridge the gap between the offline event and bringing that conversation online. So I was like, this is what people want as well, because I was in London, millions of people. And so if you can do that, you can bridge the gap between the two. So I think it was relatively early on, just because I was very lucky that I was in a company that was harnessing it very heavily. So I could see how that could then kind of progress in the years to come. And if you were to start your business all over again today, and you can only go on one platform, which one would you want to go on? Mm, Can you guess? Instagram? Probably. (laughs) But you know why though? Right now, which is, again, a blessing and a curse, going back to that. It's probably because it has everything. I don't know if you've seen the tabs. Now you have like 70 million tabs because they keep adding features. So if you keep adding things, now you've got feed, reels, guides, shop. Again, God knows what. Filters, if you have a filter. So it's literally like becoming tabs, like tabs on Chrome almost. This is how bad it gets. So with that, you could argue that you could focus only on video and you can do it really well. You could focus only on, obviously, the the visual side. You can do it really well. You can mainly focus on stories, and that could be a great way. So honestly, for the business, they probably I would launch because I don't think I will do anything too different from what I'm doing. And also, if you are either e-commerce or if you are a personal brand or if you are, again, more of an expert, in in most of these cases, it can work. You can argue that maybe for writers, it's not, just to give an example, one that maybe is not super relevant. It's not probably the best or as relevant. It doesn't mean that you cannot use it effectively though. So you know what I mean? I think it has so many applications that I can see working really well. Even if that, again, with all of these features, you can tip into overwhelm. So I think it's just finding that balance with everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And if you were to create that new account today, what things would you include in that account? And what things would you think? Or like the most important for a new account on Instagram? Definitely the obvious, probably reels. Uh, there's a reason if they're pushing discoverability. Plus they're fun. Again, mm. I'm thinking about my account though. So for example, if you're cringing at being in front of a camera, if you cannot take a bit of the make out of yourself, sometimes that might be a bit harder. Doesn't mean you can't. You can still like find a way to be on reels and kind of build almost that resistance to it because I know that some people really struggle. But as you can see, as I said, squirrel on speed, a bit of a performing animal. So never a problem for me. It's hilarious. People are like, oh, don't worry, we're going to take a couple of photos. But if you don't feel confident and then you see me just start imposing and they're like, okay. So, you know, I'm that kind of person. So for me, it's easy. But overall, it's discoverability is key. And also, I would say, again, weirdly, maybe, really stories which is weird because you're like, okay, what am I going to put in my feed? I would say your feed overall, still just don't focus only on one thing. Uh, we actually ran a podcast for Make an Impact Show and I was talking to a friend called Chloe from um, social media uh, scheduling platform. 
And she told me, funnily enough, she did an experiment and she only tried to post reels, just reels for, for a week. And she started seeing actually a reach going down. So then she started again reintroducing other types of content. So, you know, there is a place for visual content. But, you know, if you find a better balance, I would say having a few more videos and I would do videos as reels these days. And then you can have also really make the most of stories and make them a conversation with your audience. Ask them things, ask them to ask you questions, click on things. They slowly will educate themselves to do that. And that will tell you, and that will allow you to get a lot more about them. So it almost puts a bit less pressure on you to be constantly creating content for your feed. And for reels, do you do comedy or do you do like informative reels or? Uh, For me, right? Yeah. Uh, I tried to do the informative stuff and there's a bit of element of it. If I do informative things, I usually talk. I try to point at things that don't exist. For me, it just doesn't work. I would rather literally do a lip sync of something incredibly terrible and funny that kind of that, I, that I'm okay with. I've done multiple of those on TikTok as well. That's where I've played before and now I'm doing a bit of both, but it's the same content. So for our company, for the brand is more about educational and maybe actually repurposing some of the like interviews or, you know, content like that and also spotlighting other people. So that's fine because that I don't mind, obviously, because it's a bit less detached. But when it's me mainly, then I like to bring the fun because that's kind of who I am. Like, I think, again, that's the other thing. If you meet somebody and there's loads of comedy, but then when you meet them, you can tell maybe they're shy. They don't like to have fun. You can feel a bit of a disconnect. You're like, hmm, who are you? And so for me, actually, I want to show the sides of whether it's, you know, um, being a professional or, you know, reclaiming your time or even being a a social media marketing manager. I want to show the fun sides, the relatable things that people will understand because they've been there themselves. And is there anything, any mistakes you see people who are just getting into social media for their business any mistakes you see them making at the very beginning I would say the one that I see the most because pretty much everyone makes that especially when I run courses or workshops so is that the excitement is real which is excellent you're like yeah I want to post every day all day you're gonna hear from me for weeks and you set expectations for yourself that are absolutely like humongous it's unachievable and so what happens after a week of you creating content non-stop you underestimate how long it takes it's something I call actually time dysmorphia which I put in my book reclaim your time off and this applies really well I think on, on the social media marketing side of things so time dysmorphia is the fact that we cannot often really see and actually quantify the amount of time we spend on things and with social media it seems like it's perfect time dysmorphia bang because we think it's going to take us an hour and then you spend the whole days updating your calendar so that's the biggest mistake because then you feel overwhelmed you feel discouraged and then what happens is that people stop posting altogether because you're burnt out Mm -hmm. and then by that then first of all you're not going to see the results you want Again, you think the the algorithm is coming to get you or whatever. And so then you feel even worse. And then again, you don't post again. And then you think that the world hates you. Whereas a lot of the time it's just setting expectations, right? So I'll I'll give you a practical tip on this. I always say to my students, think about how often you think you should post or you want to post, okay? And half it. If you can stick to that consistency for two weeks to to three weeks, then you can bring it up. If you don't, for at least three weeks, keep on doing that, that consistency until you nail it. Because that will start teaching you actually how much time it takes you to do the specific things you want to do. And do you think it matters like how many times you post a week or the quality of how many times or the quality of those posts? What do you think about that? I prefer quality. Like, again, if it's, if it's something that really resonates with your audience, that brings value, that is funny, whatever that might be, people are going to share it, people are going to save it, people are going to comment, people are going to like it. Therefore, 
it might be seen more by people. So to me, frequency is still important, as I said. And that's why I say if you post three days a week, but you consistently post three days a week, then you create a consistency. And that's better than posting either one day a week and then the week after seven days a week Mm -hmm. or the other way around. So it's really, so overall, I would say you probably want to think about when you're posting during the day, because again, for the algorithm's sake, if people are seeing your posts when it's out, then obviously the first five to 10 minutes is when Instagram says, oh, people like this thing. So it pushes it already, but you can pretty much use any other platform to be honest. Over like how often you're posting. And also remember that you want to post when your audience is online. So, and when it's ready to hear your stuff. So if you literally only talk about taxes, let's say, and people are reading a, like, a very lengthy post about tax return, which is the thing we're doing, the, like filing taxes in the UK mm-hmm. on a Saturday evening, probably going to get really sad. Probably don't want to read that on a Saturday evening. This is done. So, you know, it's also understanding like maybe this is the time that you say I'm going to post Monday to Friday or, you know, you cannot adjust it also to what they want to see, because if they don't want to see that, they're probably not going to follow you or they're not going to engage with it. Are there any Instagram features that are new or that you know about that most people don't know they can use any like unknown? OMG. I mean, so we, we, I have another podcast. So we've got my um, make an impact show. And then I have alt marketing school, which is the one about marketing. And me and my friend Becca do a show every Monday or goes out every Monday where we talk about new features and new things on social. So if you like social media, you like that one. And this time of recording, we're so excited. This today we recorded one for Monday. And uh, she said to me, you know what happened? This is very based. There are two things, one from last week and one from this week. Tell me the one from this week first. What happened is Instagram is testing for live the opportunity for one person that is in the live to mute themselves and take the camera off. And that to me was mind-blowing because it's such a subtle thing so these are small things but it makes such a difference because what's going to happen is people are going to be able to actually watch the live and even be on the live and also they feel like they can take that break and they feel that you can put the full spotlight to the person that's talking you can make you can encourage people to come and have live conversations still on instagram instead of elsewhere because it will feel a lot better moderated because from now most accounts can have up to four people in a live so that's quite a lot so it kind of makes sense that was this week very exciting and then last week i did a funny dance which if you go to my instagram and all marketing school you can see that i did a very funny dance when i when we beck and i both will want to talk about a new feature on instagram that is testing now so don't get excited but i was which is potentially to add a link sticker to stories which means even if you don't have ten thousand followers you can still add one or maybe multiple links to your stories, which is something that a lot of people want because you want to get people outside of the platform. And Twitter is pretty much all about that. And LinkedIn also encourages that. But platforms like TikTok and Instagram make you really hard for you. So having the link sticker could allow people that have a smaller following to actually get people outside in a much easier way. And I think that's going to be a very refreshing game changer. So I literally was full on dancing. I was doing like a little rodeo dance. And she was just like, she's going wild. But, you know, I was really excited. That's literally my life. I know you're like, she's the coolest person in the world. That's what gets her going. I know. I know, guys. I know what you're thinking. And when you think of like, you've done all this work with all these different brands and helping them establish their brands and create their messaging. What are some key elements that you've seen to a really strong brand? 
That's a really good question. I think it's a combination of two things. I am a bit of a, a bit of a branding police when it comes to the visual side of it. As in, if you don't even have a actual, you know, logo on your brand, for example, that's a basic thing, right? But if you don't even have a logo, then people are not going to know you. So actually the visual branding, it's so important. And I know you'll be like, who, who doesn't have a logo? Trust me. Especially when you're starting out, you probably think first and foremost, I'm going to sell everything else, but I'm not going to think about my brand identity. So it starts with the logo, but then the brand identity also has the main colors, maybe the fonts, and also the idea of what these kind of colors and fonts, for example, and visuals that you're going to attach to your brand are trying to evoke for your audience. Like, is it fun? Is it young? Is it funky? Is it professional? Is it safe? I don't know. It can be literally anything. So doing a bit of a brand identity exercise is really important. So just, I like to create a branding deck and we have actually one for each brand that I have. And it just has not just the colors, but also the vibe and the idea. And this is why when it comes to branding, because I'm not a web designer myself, but again, I do double into branding and I did actually create some websites for other people aside from ours. So I understand the power of the combination of that and then the tone of voice and all the other sides of the branding. And people will think that knowing who your audience is and what your audience wants is not necessarily part of branding, but I like to disagree on that. I think an understanding of really what are your audience's passion in a way and why are they online? It really helps understanding what are they looking for. And then you couple that with what your brand's vibe is. And then you have to make a choice. Again, I want to say that as well. Do you want it to be more about you as a person? So you want it to reflect your personality, funny, professional, uh, knowledgeable, etc. Or you want it to be more about a persona that the brand represents. Most of the times you, your brand is kind of, especially if you're a small brand, you're kind of similar to it. So if you're like funny and funky, then your brand's going to be funny and funky. But not always. Sometimes you feel like it has to be slightly different. So you want to get clear on these things because they sound really like really nitpicky. But when you grow and hopefully you grow, then you're going to outsource some elements of your brand. And the most important thing is that people get those things right. And people are not going to understand your tone of voice if it's not clearly outlined for them as well. So we need to remember that because it's really important. And is there any mistakes that you've made or you've seen people make when they're creating a brand? Uh, oh, I've made, I've made mistakes. Um, there's another mistake. There's a pet peeve. So it's probably me and other people. And that comes a lot for small brands. So think about personal brands. We have a couple of resident uh, designers that are experts in our Creative Impact Collective. And we're talking about mistakes. And both of us agreed on one that really gets us going, which is understandable because I'm going to mention Canva, which is a great tool. But it also happens, which is tools like Canva allow you to become a designer which is super awesome but also they will showcase different design trends so what happens is that if you really follow that because you're not necessarily a designer because you don't have the expertise so you use it as a guideline you need to be careful of the shiny object syndrome where your brand start changing because you see something that looks cute that is completely out of what your brand is about and you just want to use it so you can infuse obviously your brand to a slightly different style but what happens is that a lot of people just jump from one style to the other or one feeling to the other one vibe one even like just trend literally to the other and then you're kind of cannot recognize the brand anymore i'm saying canva because that happens a lot because like social assets is something that you have to do let's say even just 20 a month right so you can see literally across them there's such a variety of things and variety is not the problem is when there's a lack of consistency within it so that would be one and that happens more for smaller brands as personal brands and solopreneurs for bigger brands or startups as well I think it's just actually the lack of uh, either of actually exercising that kind of brand identity, kind of 
that little workshop for themselves or maybe outsourcing it too much and not really having a clear idea of what they want the identity to be. So just kind of like you skip the exercise, you just have potentially a logo you did on Fiverr and you don't really think about everything else. And I think when you, if you do it beforehand, it saves you so much time afterwards because then you deserve a lot more consistency and you're not constantly changing the goalposts as well. Is there any exercises you have for finding your brand voice? Um, on the top of my head, probably not. Because I find that with that, well, actually, there's one thing that I ask. So some clients, when I do help, maybe with copywriting as well, or we're working on some of these steps, a simple thing is more, it's very basic exercise, because then it kind of layers. But the first thing I would ask people is, what are the three feelings that want to associate with their brands? And also, what are the three main outcomes, ideally as feelings again, that you want your audience to have when they experience your brand or ideally your products, that would be even better. So there's an element just like feelings that you associate with your brand and the kind of words almost so that the one is a bit more generic. And then I go into what is your audience instead experiencing when it comes to your brand. This is kind of where I lay the foundation. And then I guess the other exercise is really a lot of the time I do build a brand a branding deck with my clients to a certain extent. And then sometimes they go to the designer and they give them that. And then the designer can refine that and make it fully visual. But it kind of helps them because it saves, let's say, 70 back and forth. Depends on the person. But sometimes if you're not too sure and you say to somebody, do this, you have to appreciate that they're going to do what they think is right, but they're not always going to get it right straight away. So if you can actually give them some guidance, it means that designers can be even more efficient and actually give you exactly what you want. So the actual branding deck is something that we do a lot after I answer these, ask these questions and then they answer it for themselves. And what are some keys you think to impactful content? Um, do you mean as elements of it or kind of things to think about? What we Yeah, can... either one. I think is always remembering that content is an exchange of value. You are providing value with the content and the audience is giving it back by actually reading it or engaging with it. I think a lot of the time we feel like we are the ones doing all the work, which is in a way, I appreciate that. But also the audience is the one that then has to say, for the little time that I have, I'm going to spend that time engaging with you instead of somebody else. And I think that's the biggest issue. It's very easy to schedule stuff and post things. But that engagement side of it, it takes a lot of time. So I always say to people, remember that you are providing people with value and then they're giving you that back. So if all you're doing is shouting and talking about yourself, people are not going to see what's in it for them. Understandably, I think. They love you, but at some point you're going to be like, okay, I got it. But how can I, you know, how can I take what you're telling me, what you're you're sharing and actually applying for my life? How can they help me? And when you find that balance between doing a bit of that and asking for help, then you actually find that you get a bit of a sweet spot when it comes to really impactful content. And then I also like to add, think about also how that content is going to be potentially benefiting other people. That would be to me the cherry on top. Not always, it's not like, again, that would be almost virtual signaling. You're only trying to do it for the sake of doing it, but try and organically start thinking, okay, I can actually help somebody or I can actually raise a bigger issue or questions. And that can be quite a powerful way to actually multiply that impact as well. And I'd love to go into your book. I love the title, Reclaim Your Time. Baby! (laughs) It always flies when when you call it, it always comes in. (laughs) So cute. And I would love to go into... What did your journey look like starting to reclaim your time? Or what was the moment for you that you realized this is something I need to do? This is something I need to change? 
I think we're going back to the to the twenties story. I always knew that I had to reclaim my time off because I had so little of it. At first, it was just out of the fact that I was working, you know, in the hospitality industry. So working in a restaurant, you adapt when they tell you you're going to be off. And that was it. So when I, when I was off, I would work on my dream and on my blog because I had a music blog at the time. And I was also a music journalist. So I would write or no, I would go to gigs. So really, time off to do nothing was never a thing that I appreciated or that I understood. And this is going to be sounding really old, but you get to 30. Uh, by the way, it's not like you get to 30, there's like a stargate, you know, just so people think it's, but in a way though, you do get to 30 and you start to realize that doing those all nighters doesn't work anymore <laughs> and it shouldn't. And I, you know, and that's why I, was, I made those mistakes of pushing a bit too much, hoping that a little fairy would tap me on the shoulder and say, now you can chill. It doesn't happen unless you force yourself to do that. So, you you know, the book is Reclaim Your Time Off. And the reason why is that is because before I felt I was one of the only ones that was a bit of a workaholic. But what's happened with everything and COVID and pandemics and lockdowns, we have been all throwing ourselves into works or passions or things just to keep us busy, which I appreciate because it's been a tough time for a lot of us. And but we're coming out of things and we're just realizing that we don't know how to set boundaries anymore. And this has been something that I experienced for so many years in my life. First, because I was following a dream. And then because I realized that I didn't know how to, to step back. And my priorities were to have more freedom and time. And I was like, well, if these are values and I'm working for myself and I'm still not being able to find the freedom and the time, at some point I need to ask myself, what is going on here? When is this going to change? And once I decided to you know, create a solution for myself, which is the one in the book and that I also teach my clients, then I was able to reclaim a bit of that time off. But again, at first I felt a bit like, okay, these people like me that fall into that trap. But now so many of us struggle with boundaries. So many of us struggle with just being able almost to tell others I am off and I want to reclaim that time. And I want to get away from that stigma and that guilt that this new work culture is kind of like sneaking upon us. Is there anyone that you really want to read this book? Any person you have in mind? I mean, I, will, I wouldn't lie if I said, I'll tell you the silly, the silly answer. I would really love my mom to be able to read it. Bless her. She bought, wait a second, she bought, the, she bought a copy of my first book as well called Make an Impact. And then she bought, she bought a copy of this one literally like last week. Mm-hmm. So excited. And she still knows that she won't be able to read it because <laughs> it's in English. So I'm really hoping at some point I can get an Italian version of the, especially of this book uh, that she can read. That's, that's the funny answer. Not so funny, but literally bless her. She's, she's the cheerleader and she can't even read it. But I think, honestly, if I say everyone sounds cheesy, but I think everyone who feels they want to prioritize themselves just a touch more, um because I would lie if I said just to people like me just the people that are overworked or burnt out I think everybody that really wants to prioritize themselves a bit more and almost take stock of you know their professional life and how happy or not happy they are with it and understand that because the framework that that I teach people will just help you check in with yourself whether it's yearly bi-yearly quarterly and just see where you're at and I think it's such a powerful thing and maybe even, I would say, then the, the decision makers, you know, just not us that are reading this book and getting inspired, but also, you know, the big bosses, the, the people that actually make those decisions to actually change the company culture also has to come from them and not just from us. And what's something you're really excited about right now? 
I was excited about this chat. And I, and I managed, as I said, somehow to keep my hands in my pockets. So I've been really, really good because, again, I, I could have distracted Sophia a lot, but I didn't. Honestly, I'm actually excited to take a leaf from my own book and actually reclaim my time off. Because, again, I could lie, which I wouldn't. But, you know, you could and say, oh, no, I am so balanced right now. Everything is so zen. And I'm actually in you know, my book at the time of recording is coming out in two, less than two weeks. I am a mess because there's so much going on and there's so many things I need to do before that. But I've been able to understand that and work around that so that I can decompress. And sometimes I do get a bit like, eh. there's a moment where I just feel like very overwhelmed and then I let it go. So again, the tools actually allow me to understand that and take stock and create little pockets of time. But then I also know that I set up afterwards some real time to just decompress. So, you know, that's probably what I'm looking forward to right now. I'm excited to be able to get the book out to the world and then just, you know, practice what I preach and step back after a busy period that had to happen. I'm embracing. I'm trying to, you know, apply what I've learned and then just celebrate and dance by myself at this point in time, probably still will be dancing in my living room but I will do that to celebrate that's all right I can do that and what's something that most people don't know about you I was gonna say something that is not true I was like that I speak Russian no they do know that I uh that I learn Russian um, interesting mm, oh yes I know I know I know ah, that's a fun one most people wouldn't know that I um I was such a, bu- a big Malcolm in the Middle fan which might be a bit beyond you do you know Malcolm in the Middle? You know what it is? I do. Yeah. X. I love that. So I love this so much that aged 13 with with much limited knowledge of English as well, I would like to say. I set up my full website. I'm not talking about live journal or blogs like that. Proper website with HTML, God knows how. I set up my Italian fun club of Malcolm in the Middle, translated all of the synopsis from English to Italian, and then published it to the world where then I created my little fun club. And I was kind of talking also to, I think, the official fun clubs in the, the US and stuff like that. And I was so proud. And it was on Alta Vista for pretty much, I think, until 2017. And then somehow they decided it was time to go. But I lo- it was still there. And I was like, lol. So um, people don't know that I was a fan as much. And they wouldn't even know that I had the website up. And then I loved it so much. Mm. Now, if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give her? Um, hmm. I was thinking about it, but it's, it's a, it's a hard one because I don't want to give away too much. And then she wouldn't do exactly what she did to get to this point. <laughs> Cause that's kind of like, you know what I mean? It sounds as cheesy as it sounds. I'll just say to her, keep going. Whenever you feel you don't know where you're going, you don't know if you can do it, just keep going. And it's kind of what I say to myself as well. It's just like, keep trusting. I think just keep trusting the universe, keep trusting your gut and just keep going. But again, not giving away too much because I wanted to go through the things that she went through to learn and then to be able again, maybe to teach others as well things that then they can do better or differently. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. <laughs> pleasure. Where can people connect with you online? They can find me on my website, which is fabgiovanetti.com. It's F-A-B-G-I-O-V-A-N-E-T-T-I. I know. And that thing that I just spelled is also where you can find me on social because let's make it easy. It's already hard enough as it is. Um, if you want to find out more about Creative Impact is on social. You just go to Instagram, Creative Impact Co. That's probably the best way to figure out about more. And if you want to listen to all marketing school, just find all marketing school in your podcast app. And that's where you can listen to our ramblings about social media as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with.
I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.